Chapter Eleven of Mystery at Number Six. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mystery at Number Six by Augusta Heel Seaman. Chapter Eleven: The Force of a Promise. On the way home, they tried to forget Ike, and Sydney gave Bernice an account of his interview with Mister Treadwell the previous evening. He was sitting on the veranda smoking when I came out after bringing you folks home from our bungalow. I didn't think of speaking to him. Singularly enough, he opened the conversation with me by asking if I happened to have a match about me. I always carry a box around in my pocket, so I obliged him, and gradually we got to talking. It ended in my sitting down by him and remaining there till nearly midnight. He's a very interesting man. Has travelled all over, especially in Florida, and knows the state like a book. And by the way, we found out that he had known your mother's father very well, had gone to the same college with him, though he graduated two or three years later than your grandfather, but was quite a friend of his. They rather lost sight of each other in later years, for he went to Europe for a long stay, but he was very much interested and wanted to meet you and your mother. Queer how small the world is, isn't it? That'll make it all the easier to get acquainted with him, won't it? Interrupted Bernice. No trouble at all about that, declared Sidney. I'll introduce him all around tonight, but that isn't all we talked about. By and by, we got to discussing this town and the people in it, and the queer specimens you see coming in from the wild outside districts. He began it by speaking particularly about a curious cracker fellow who'd tackled him that day for a job in the mines, said he was a good hand to make other fellows work, and would like to be a foreman. Mister Treadwell had a hard time assuring the chap that he didn't have anything to do with hiring the mine workers. Then he went on to speak of other queer characters he'd come across, and suddenly, to my amazement, he asked me if I'd ever noticed that half Indian chap who came to town once in a while. I wondered just how much I ought to tell him, how much I could tell him without breaking that promise to the kid, but concluded it wouldn't do any harm to admit at least to seeing Jerry. So I said yes. I had seen him once or twice. He went on to say that he had reason to be more than usually interested in that particular person. In fact, would like very much to meet him and have a talk with him. Then he told me the incident of last Saturday when he saw Jerry in line at the movie show. And tried to get across to him, and found him gone when he managed to reach the other side of the street. I asked him if he'd ever met Jerry before. What do you think he said? Yes, once, down in Fort Lauderdale. See how that dovetails in with what little delight told us. Remember her saying that Jerry left there once in pretty much of a hurry and went deep into the glades for a long time afterward. I spoke quite casually about Jerry being a famous guide and trapper in the glades, and he said yes, so he'd heard, but that there was something else that was singular about him besides that. And then, then, here Sidney paused dramatically. He up and asked me if I knew that Jerry had in his care a girl who it was thought did not belong to him. I was really put to it to answer him, if I admitted I knew. It might involve delight, and yet I couldn't very well say that I didn't. So I compromised by simply remarking, "Is that so?" He went on to say that he had heard so when he was down at Fort Lauderdale some years before, 
but when he met Jerry and had questioned him about it, Jerry had denied it flatly, and then disappeared for good. But he said he had been asking some questions about the town here, concerning the guide, and found that it was rumoured that he did have the child with him, though no one had seen her, and that he was also supposed to be married to a cracker woman rather recently. He said that he hadn't discovered just where he lived yet, but when he did, was going to try to have another interview with him. I didn't say a word about my knowing where Jerry lived, but just let him ramble on and tell me all he would. He went on to say that there were very serious legal reasons why he should talk to the fellow, that he had been trying to find him for years without success, and that it was utterly unexpected coming across him in this region. He had certainly never dreamed of finding him anywhere but around the Everglades. Of course, I was absolutely handicapped by that promise to delight, and could not tell him a thing I knew, partly because I haven't figured out yet whether his business with Jerry will bring more trouble to her or not, and partly because it didn't seem fair to the whole outfit at number six, or rather that were once of number six. I can't feel that they are criminals, or anything like that, and I want to know more about what Mr. Treadwell wants with them before I give him so much as a hint, if I ever do. I didn't get any more out of him after that, for it was growing so late that we both decided to go to bed. But you can see now that we are in for some new developments, perhaps, through him. I'll stay to dinner with you folks tonight at the hotel and get a chance to introduce you all afterward. In the pleasant twilight after supper on the hotel veranda, they found Mr. Treadwell sitting in a corner by himself, smoking the inevitable cigar, and apparently just enjoying the fading afterglow, glimpsed through the huge live oak trees so heavily draped with Spanish moss. Sidney, walking by with Bernice and her mother, stopped to introduce them, and Mr. Treadwell rose with alacrity, and after the introduction found them all chairs. They discovered him to be a quite delightful and entertaining person, full of enthralling incidents of his many travels, which he could recount very realistically. Mrs. Conant and he spent considerable time exchanging reminiscences of her father, so that in a very short interval they felt quite as if they had known each other all their lives. It was not until the interview was nearly over that Mr. Treadwell electrified the two young folks by turning to Sidney and casually remarking, "'Remember that half-Indian chap we were speaking of the other night?' I found out quite by chance today that he is supposed to be living out somewhere near one of the old mine pools known as number six, some twelve or fourteen miles from here. No one could give me the exact location, at least not so as I could find it without some difficulty. I believe you have to leave the main road at a certain point and take some obscure trail through the woods. Now, I am very anxious to get at him as soon as possible, for I can't stay in this region much longer." I have urgent business elsewhere, and more than that, my car is laid up with a broken connecting rod and won't be ready for use short of two or three days. I was wondering whether you would, as a favour, be willing to drive me out there tomorrow afternoon in your car, if you weren't otherwise engaged. It's a great deal to ask, I know, but I understood you to say that you knew the region around here pretty thoroughly, and must confess I'd rather take the expedition with you then go in a public taxi. The affair is just a little in the nature of a matter I don't want to make too public. 
Sidney and Bernice glanced at each other with one startled look. Could anything be more singular than this particular request? Had it come a few days earlier, they would have been hard put to it to know what to reply. As it was, Sidney saw no reason why he should not cheerfully comply. The expedition promised rather interesting and unusual features, indeed. "'I'll be delighted to,' he replied. "'Won't we, Bernice?' "'I've been out that way fishing once in a while. "'I think I know how to get there without difficulty. "'We'll all go. "'Aunt Elsie, wouldn't you like to take the drive, too? "'You haven't been out that way. "'We can stay in the car or ramble around and explore the pool "'while Mr. Treadwell has his interview.' "'But Mrs. Conant thanked them and refused, "'declaring she had made the engagement to go to Tampa "'with her sister-in-law next day.' as nothing, however, would have persuaded Bernice to give up her chance to be one of this curious expedition, it was arranged that the three should meet at the hotel next afternoon at two o'clock. When they were alone, just before Sidney left, he whispered to Bernice, "'Isn't this the greatest piece of business you ever heard of, us taking him out to number six? Lucky thing the kid isn't there now. Say, he'll get some shock when he finds they've flown the coop again, won't he?' But don't you dare to show, by so much as the faintest sign, that you've ever been there before, or have the least inkling about the thing. You'll have to do a nice little bit of acting, I fancy, and I do hope Ike Massey keeps out of the way. Of course I won't show that I know anything about it, declared Bernice indignantly. I wouldn't for delight's sake, anyways. Gracious, I can hardly wait for the time to come. It was with the strangest presentiment of pending complications that they set out on the following afternoon. Bernice alternated between wishing madly that Delight had never extracted that promise from them and being thankful that they were not permitted to tell what they knew. But what she chiefly dreaded was being put in a position of having to answer complicating questions that could not be evaded. As, however, there was not the slightest use in borrowing trouble she wisely decided to see how things turned out, and not to worry beforehand. The conversation during the ride was on general subjects, and when at last they reached the pool, Bernice inwardly thanked fortune that they had not once touched on the ticklish topic. Sidney halted at the spot where he usually parked his car, got out his fishing rod, and announced that he and Bernice would stay on that side of the pool and try their luck while Mr. Treadwell went round to the other side to find Jerry. He pointed out the old house in the orange grove, saying he understood that must be where Jerry lived. They watched Mr. Treadwell make his way around the edge of the pool, after having satisfied themselves that Ike was nowhere in the vicinity, and they watched him approach the tumble-down veranda, reconnoiter about him a bit, and finally ascend to knock on the still half-open door. I feel as if I were standing over a mine that was about to explode, Bernice confided to her cousin. It makes me feel rather mean, added Sidney, to think that I know all the while what he's going to strike, and yet what in the world can I do? We're just bound hand and foot by that promise delight extracted from us. Sometimes I think it isn't right, as if it might be better for her in the end if we did not keep it. I don't know. It's a puzzle. They could see Mr. Treadwell standing patiently by the door, waiting for an answer to his knock. Then they saw him knock again, 
and, after an interval, a third time. At last they saw him push the door open, look about and walk in. And after that nothing happened for a very long time, and they almost held their breath for the coming explosion, as Bernice insisted on calling it. Much later they saw him emerge from the house, and hurry around the pool in their direction, and they knew the struggle was on. "'It's singular, very singular,' panted Mr. Treadwell, when he at last came around to where they were standing. "'What's singular?' demanded Sidney, as nonchalantly as though he were not perfectly well aware of the facts all the time. "'That house, it's absolutely empty. Are you sure this is the right place?' "'I think I can be quite sure of it,' replied Sidney cautiously. "'It's the only farmhouse around here for miles, and one day not so long ago I was out fishing at this pool and happened to notice that the house seemed occupied. Are you sure that it is empty, or are they perhaps just temporarily away from home?' "'It's uninhabited, no doubt of it. Some furniture is still there, but not the slightest sign of anyone really living in the place.' "'Very queer that he should move away so suddenly,' commented Sidney, more for the sake of saying something than for any better reason. "'No, it isn't strange,' exploded Mr. Treadwell, at last, in thorough exasperation. "'It's only about what I expected, as a matter of fact. "'Jerry has eluded me before, and I quite suspected he'd try it again. "'Only I thought that this time I'd been too quick for him.' didn't think he'd imagine it necessary to slip away so soon, as he was so well hidden here. He's a slick article, the slickest thing I've ever come across. He has given me the slip every time. Sidney said nothing, except to murmur his regrets at Mr. Treadwell's disappointment. Later he ventured to ask if that gentleman intended to try to trace the fleeing guide. But Mr. Treadwell, deep in thought, paid no attention to his query. Instead, he suddenly confronted Sidney and looked straight into his eyes. "'Tell me,' he commanded, in a tone that was not to be gainsaid, "'did you ever happen, while fishing here, to have noticed a young girl about this young lady's age?' Pointing to Bernice. "'Anywhere about that house, or around this pool?' And so, at last, was Sidney brought to bay. End of chapter 11